declared a fatwa uh, on him. Uh, and uh, I, the Ayatollah Khamenei is the man who wrote the little green book. It's the book that tells uh, good hmm. Shiite Muslims how to have sex with two-year-old babies, uh, how to engage in bestiality, such that if you uh, do it with a sheepy, uh, that's okay. You just can't sell the meat of that sheepy when you later kill it. Uh, in your own community, you have to sell it down the street. Uh, and that uh, when you're raping a two-year-old child, uh, you should uh, uh, be nice to it. Uh, yes, the Little Green Book was uh, How to Be a Good Shiite Muslim by one of the most disgusting human beings who ever lived, the Ayatollah Khomeini. Uh, as I recall the fatwa on um, Salman Rushdie for telling the truth, uh, although it was in a novel, uh, was $3 million. And there was a, uh, I don't want to say a young man because he was an animal, a Muslim. Uh, his uh, name is Hati Mater. Uh, I looked up his Facebook page. He, you can see him uh, doing uh, drugs and uh, holding his, uh, his machete uh, knife. Uh, really, it's a little different than a machete, but a long-bladed knife and a pistol and another place with a, an assault rifle. He's really a charming example of what Islam does to a, uh, a person. Uh, he was the one who donned black clothing and a black mask. Black mask is also shown on his Facebook site and ran up and, uh, and brutally stabbed a man that he didn't know. And he was too stupid to actually examine the Islamic Quran and Hadith to find out whether or not he was telling the truth. Uh, just as a rule of thought, if uh, you have to wear a black mask over your face as you're um, acting out in a deed, chances are you ought not be doing it. Uh, just as a rule of thumb, if you have to hide your identity and face, then you shouldn't be doing you it. Coward. When I wrote Prophet yeah. of Doom, not only is the book cover white, not only are the covers of everything that I've done white, I'm trying to enlighten people and just shine light on it, my name is prominently displayed. I, my name is prominently displayed as Craig Wynn on the cover of Prophet of Doom. I'm not hiding from anybody. I'm wearing a ski mask to go off and harm people. In fact, I'm anti-violence. I want you to know the truth, but I want to use words. Salman Rushdie was an interesting story for me because when Yawa approached me uh, 20... One years ago, uh, it'd be 21 years uh, now in uh, on Tarua in 2001, um, and asked me to do as I subsequently did, which was begin by exposing and condemning Islam with the Tea with Terrorists and then Prophet of Doom. Uh, when he asked me to do that, the my first response was, no, I don't want to do that. That is really a bad idea. Anyone that does that, Salman Rushdie, Just for example, gets, uh, gets uh, threatened, their life Just is threatened, they're hunted down, and, uh, mm -hmm. and they try to kill them. Uh, that's probably not a good life choice. And, you know, uh, yeah, well, when Nobody he decides he wants smart. somebody to do something, yeah, you're just better off. It's like Moshe. Okay, okay, I gave you my best shot. Uh, You're not okay. buying it. I understand now who you are. So, 
Uh, and boy, I tell you what, from that point on, Moshe was the most extraordinary human being who has ever lived. Uh, but Salman Rushdie was the example. I, we all knew uh, what had happened to him 33 years ago now. Um, of course, it was just uh, a decade prior to Yahweh approaching me and asking me to do this. I want to share a little bit with you about the satanic verses because it's important for people to know. I looked up a couple of Muslim responses uh, this evening just so I'd be prepared. And, uh, it is in the, uh, the Quran. It's in Surah uh, 53, 19 through 21. And it speaks uh, specifically of three goddesses, uh, Elat, who is the daughter of Allah, uh, Al-Uzza and uh, Manat, which were the uh, two highest ranking goddesses in the, uh, the Kaaba, uh, which of course was in Petra, not Mecca. Uh, and they say, hey, because it, it, after telling uh, uh, the world that these are uh, our goddesses and you know, the, uh, that they are the women for Allah, um, it says they are just names. And the Muslims say, well, see, it's all answered. It says they're, they're just names. Maybe I ought to read a little more. So I'm going to read a little more, and I'm going to share with you a little okay. insight on the uh, satanic verses. Uh, the story uh, begins before this, but this, this will give you a good introduction. The Quraysh, which was Muhammad's uh, tribe, promised Muhammad that they would give him so much wealth that he would become the richest man. Well, now it says Mecca. It was actually Petra and that they would give him as many wives as he wanted, sex, and they would submit to his commands, power. They offered him sex, power, and money. What did he have to do? The Quraysh said, this is what we will give you, Muhammad, so long as you desist from reviling our gods and you no longer speak evil about our gods. This statement is in Tabari, volume 6, page 106, as it was uh, translated and published by the State of, uh, of uh, the State University of New York. The Quraysh said, this is what we'll give you, Muhammad. All you have to do is stop. Tabari, volume 6, page 107. If you will do so, we offer you something which will be to your advantage and to ours. It was, let's make a deal. You recognize our gods in the rock pile, Muhammad. And guess what? We'll give you sex, power, and money. Because right now you're bad for business. What is it, he asked. They said, if you worship our gods, Alat, Al-Uzza, for a year, we will worship your god for a year. Now, that's a pretty tough statement for Islam all by itself because the chief god with the biggest black stone of the Kaaba was supposed to be Allah. So how could Allah be Muhammad's god and not their god if Allah was the chief god of the Kaaba? But Allah wasn't the chief god of the Kaaba. It was Manat and Aluza. The deeper you dig, the worse Islam becomes. Let me see what revelation comes to me from my Lord, Muhammad replied. 
Let me see what revelation comes to me from my Lord. Not from Allah, from my Lord, Muhammad replied. Then the following inspiration came from the preserved tablet. Say, O disbelievers, I worship not which you worship, and you worship that which I worship. You do not worship what I worship, and I shall not worship that which you worship, nor shall you worship that which I worship to your religion and to me my religion. Uh, sorry about that. Because he, accepted, because he accepted the deal, and the Quran tells us he accepted the deal. And oh, by the way, in the war of compulsion, he made certain that every Arab submit to Islam. He wasn't much of a prophet. So we next read, Satan cast a false revelation on the messenger of Allah's tongue. I, I don't ever read that occurring with Yashaya Isaiah or Hosha, Hosea or Yermayah or Dod or Moshe. Never did I read that Yahweh allowed Satan to cast a false prophecy on their tongue. But nonetheless, Allah is more charitable. The messenger was eager. This is Tabari, volume 6, page 107 again. The messenger was eager for the welfare of his people and wished to effect reconciliation with them in whatever way he could. And it is he who wanted to find a way to do this. And what happens was as follows. So much for conviction. Ibn Mumad, Salama, Muhammad, Ibn Ishaq, Yazid, bin Yaziyad, al-Madani, Muhammad, bin Ka'ab, al-Qurazai, is the isnad that leads into this particular hadith. We find it in Tabari, who was the first historian in Islam. He used Ishaq's Sirah, the biography of Muhammad, uh, and additional material to put the first history together. It's the earliest and most authentic history of Muhammad's life. We find this also on page 165 of Ishaq's Sirah, as it was translated and published uh, by, by Oxford Press. Muhammad saw that his tribe had turned on him and was pained to see them shunning the message that he had brought from Allah. So he forged, longed for something that would reconcile his tribe to him. With his love for his tribe and his anxiety over this, it would have delighted him if the obstacle which had made his task so difficult could be removed. Oh, yes, all we have to do is accept the gods and goddesses of the rock pile known as the Kaaba, and the obstacle is removed. Muhammad gets sex, power, and money. He is no longer harassed by the citizens of his community. So Muhammad dated, debated with himself. I'm reading now from the Islamic Hadith. These are the oldest written accounts in the Islamic religion. So Muhammad debated with himself 
and fervently desired such an outcome. And Allah revealed, by the star, when it sets, your comrade does not err, nor is he deceived, nor does he speak out of his own desire. When he came to the words, have you thought about Alat, Aluza, and Manat? Satan, when he was meditating upon it and desiring to bring reconciliation, cast on his tongue because of his and her longings for sex, power, and money, and that which he de- desired, the words, these are exalted, high-flying cranes, in other words, goddesses. Verily, their intercession is accepted with approval. You can worship those goddesses. They can provide intercession to the black stone, Allah. When the Koresh heard this, they rejoiced and were delighted in the way which he spoke of their gods. And they listened to him, goes on to read. You have recited to the people. This is Ishak, page 166. You have recited the people that which I did not bring to you from Allah. Now, who the hell is speaking here? I think they want you to believe it's Gabriel, but I know Gabriel, and he didn't say these words. And you have said what he did not say to you. The messenger was grieved, and he feared Allah greatly. Allah, now not Gabriel, sent a revelation to him, consoling him and making light of the affair. So he informed him that there had never been a prophet or a messenger before who desired as he desired or wished what he wished for sex, power, and money, but that Satan had cast words into his revelation as he had interjected them onto Muhammad's tongue and into his desires. Ishak, page 166. That's why they're called the Satanic Verses. Now from Quran 2252. Oh, Muslims don't want you to read this one. Then Allah annulled what Satan had cast, and he established his verses by telling him that he was like other prophets and messengers. Every messenger or prophet before you recited the message Satan cast into his revelation. Allah abrogates what Satan casts. Then Allah established his verses. Allah is knower, wise. Quran 2252. It is so disgustingly bad for a Muslim to go kill a man for writing about it, says that he is a complete and utter ignoramus, an ignoramus to believe such drivel came from God, and then to kill a man from telling you what Allah told Muhammad. I don't care which way you want it. It is insane. You have to be less than human. To read this history, which is the oldest credible sources ever written about Islam, including the statement of the Quran itself, and then 
to be offended by someone referring to the satanic verses, you are an ignoramus. Read the damn Koran. It's what it says. If you don't like what it says, stop being a Muslim. But don't go off and stab a man because he had the courage to tell you the truth. He stabbed him 15 to 20 times. Mm-hmm. He's in surgery now. I hope he lives. I can tell you for uh, certain, however, uh, that um, there were two differences between Salman Rushdie and myself. Uh, the first is, this man did it as an atheist, which means he did not have God's protection or support. And second, he wrote a novelized account, and Prophet of Doom is the book I happen to be reading from that is a thousand pages of citations from the five oldest Islamic sources. So I told the truth in an irrefutable way. And Salman Rushdie did the same, but from a a point of view of writing it in the form of a novel. There are other items in the news, uh, just uh, briefly, and I I hope that he survives. Uh, There were, I think in 1989 in uh, London, there were riots where I think 60-some people were killed Mm -hmm. by uh, Muslims uh, revolting against the satanic verses when, in fact, as I just shared with you, they're in the Quran. Um, there is a third difference between um, Salman Rushdie and myself. His fatwa was by the uh, Ayatollah Khomeini, um, a, um, an Iranian leader, and therefore a Shiite Muslim. Mine uh, came from the Saudi Arabian uh, regime and thus from Sunni Islam. But I also had a fatwa called against me. Other items in the news, you probably heard how proud the officials were in uh, Uvalde um, and their response to the, uh, that, the boy that uh, shot um, the children in the schools. And now that there is video of the cops sitting out in the hallway twiddling their cum- thumbs for over an hour as the shooter murdered little boys and little girls as cops in riot gear and assault weapons did nothing. Now the the authorities, the officials who uh, had to deal with that won't even answer the phone. They will no longer answer questions. They want to pretend like it didn't happen. This week, uh, the FBI got a search warrant signed by uh, a, a judge who was a um, federal magistrate judge. Um, his, uh, he had just gone into becoming a judge. He had been in private practice before. 
his uh, prior uh, list of clients happened to include um, uh, who is the uh, the pedophile um, that um, uh, had the pedophile island and the Lolita Express that oh you know, I know all, what you're talking about but I can't yeah. remember yeah but yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he represented um, uh, his employees those who aided and abetted pedophilia so he was a really honorable man and they went to him to uh, to get the uh, uh, the warrant signed and it was of course Democratic congressman that wanted it. And so the FBI raided the home of a former president. You want to guarantee that you only have slime buckets in office or men that are nearly dead like you have now? Well, treat your former presidents that way. They claim that, uh, that Donald Trump had top-secret documents. So what? What secret does the American government know that it can't share with its people. That the CIA is out of control, that the FBI is out of control. Your army last. That are you the US military is a complete waste of money? That the NSA is is completely disregarding the US Constitution? What is it that they don't want you to know? That they started the war in Ukraine? What top secret document? that the people not have the right to know, that they're so afraid of that Trump has in his possession. Oh, they say it was nuclear rep- uh, records. What? You think that Donald Trump is going to go build a nuclear bomb? You think Donald Trump, just for giggles, took the launch codes? Come on. I mean, this is so utterly insane. And what it does to the credibility of the United States kind of like Israel, where they devour their own. And it's like every mm-hmm. time Israel has – one of two things is true in Israel. Either all of the people that – not all, but most of the people who, who uh, aspire to the Knesset and uh, the prime ministership and, and Israel are scumbags, and, and therefore they uh, are all sent to prison, or they, they just literally devour their own because they, uh, they, they find it fun to turn on one another – uh, because yeah, the world is turned on them. I, I don't know which one of the two, but that is the mentality that happens when you do this. You know, if you're a Democrat and you can't deal with the fact that Trump won the, the election against Hillary Clinton and there were serious problems with the next election uh, and you just are afraid of him and want to bury him, then use some rational arguments against him and stop this witch hunt. It is disgusting, and it is counterproductive. Right. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm not a Trump fan. I, mean, I, I will tell you that Trump is better than what we have now. That doesn't make him good. Germany is in the news because uh, they're holding a 50th year anniversary of the, uh, of the Palestinian uh, murders of the, uh, I think it was 11 um, uh, Israeli uh, athletes Olympians. at the uh, yeah, the mm-hmm. Munich uh, Olympic Games 1972. Uh, the reason that uh, that the families of those who were murdered are boycotting this event is because of how unresponsive and um, uh, 
unwilling to accept uh, some degree of trying to make a bad situation right, the German government had been. Eleven families gunned down uh, by Palestinians in Munich, Germany, under their watch. And you know what they offered the families? Five million dollars. Five million dollars. Eleven families, five million dollars. About $475,000. Uh, sorry that uh, while your uh, son or daughter was, uh, was here celebrating uh, in a world uh, athletic event, our security was so bad, uh, and we really don't like Jews anyway, that uh, some Palestinians who we now support uh, came in and, and gunned them down and took their life so bad. Uh, bad on us. Here's $475,000. Go away. Oh, but they said, oh, you know, if, if you won't boycott us, you know, we're considering doubling that. But 50 years later, still, it's nothing. God, get your head out of your behind, Germany. There's reports now that uh, the Gaza death toll of uh, Muslims in, in Gaza was, uh, is now 48. What they don't want to tell you, though, is that uh, the majority of those who uh, died in, uh, uh, in Gaza were killed by uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Uh, either the rockets misfired and exploded when they were trying to set them off, or the Israelis actually takes, has pictures where they throw the rockets launching from, uh, from the center of Gaza which, of course, was where the Israelis are going to counterattack and take out the launchers, but right, right from, the, mm-hmm. going from the center of Gaza, right back in down into the center of Gaza. Uh, it was something in the range of 200 of the rockets that the, oh, really? uh, the Muslims fired landed in Gaza. And the one time that they were, oh, look at the Jews, those terrible Jews, they, they killed our women and children. And uh, there were women and children killed. And the Israeli government has actual pictures of them being killed because a Palestinian Islamic Jihad rocket exploded on takeoff. Allahu Akbar, Allah is a mouse. What are we going to do? <laughs> All right, that's probably enough for the uh, the news, and and I don't want to sound too chipper because I am really sorry for Salman Rushdie as no, an exceedingly brave man that. Uh, uh, did not deserve this fate. Did not have, should not have had to go into hiding for uh, for 25 uh, years. Uh, should never have endured what he did. Should not have been attacked so viciously. It is disgusting that the world continues to accommodate uh, Islam. It's disgusting the United States wants to form a, a nuclear deal with the same Iranian government that uh, this. Muslim murderer, uh, well, whether he's a murderer or not, the, uh, this Muslim attacker uh, is mm-hmm. loyal to the Republican guards and to the Shiite uh, regime in Iran, the same regime that the Biden administration wants to uh, sign a nuclear yeah. deal with. Let's mm-hmm. see how that works for you at the United States. I don't uh, anticipate well. Uh, our program last week, and by the way, this week uh, we are uh, um, uh, use uh, the United States as the as the uh, country uh, that we are uh, reaching out to in our social media. Um, uh, there's so many progressives in the United States. Uh, I 
can see how they will have a conniption fit over all of this and uh, try to uh, to ban us again not for any rational reason just because they don't like the way it sounds but nonetheless check your facts and you will find that everything we have said is accurate but last week I talked about Jacob, uh, uh, known as Jacob uh, in uh, in bad transliterations uh, he is the grandson of Abraham, the son of Yishak, Isaac. Uh, he is the father of the 12 tribes of, of Israel, Israel. And the report that I shared last week was decidedly negative on him. Um, mm-hmm. God brought his name up in Hosha uh, in an exceedingly negative context. He was I identifying Jacob with Israel, saying, I have an argument against you, Jacob. And the context was that he was condemning Israel and said that they had allied with the Lord Baal and that they would assuredly die. So in that context, it was my responsibility to determine why Yahweh said such harsh things about Jacob. And so I went to the earliest reports, uh, the report of, uh, of him not just stealing the birthright, uh, but also the, uh, um, what happened allegedly on the, uh, the way to Haran um, uh, in a, a place that I don't think actually exists as a location. I think it is... Uh, being used as a metaphor called Bethel, House of God. And I revealed mm-hmm. what he had to say there, and um, it's just not true. And then I revealed what happened when he wanted to reconcile with his brother Esau, who he had treated exceedingly badly, uh, and he was cowering in his sandals. And I shared that story as well, where, uh, where he wanted us to believe that he had wrestled with God and prevailed. And I shared with you, that's not true either. Now, the fact that that this man had numerous negative episodes in his life uh, does not make him a bad human being. God ended up loving him. Uh, But I will tell you that he was exceedingly troubled. His epitaph to Pharaoh is one of the great heartbreaks of all time. Uh, You know, Pharaoh just simply said, how old are you? And uh, after saying 130 years, he said, I have lived an exceedingly evil life. And I do not measure up in any way to my father's. Now, if I thought that about myself, I'm not telling the king of a, of a land that I'm seeking asylum in because of a drought. I'm just not going there. If I had that dark a past, I'm trying to keep it to myself. What would cause a man to say that is, uh, is astounding, or for him to think that of himself, but that's how he assessed himself. Mm-hmm. Now, all of that said, I just want to, our listeners to know that there were many wonderful episodes in Jacob's life. He's a complex character. Every within Yah's story is a complex character. I mean, the only character I think that God tells us about where Everything comes up roses. I mean, the, the, the man was 
always doing the right thing for the right reason is Moshe. Now, Moshe is extraordinary, but everybody else is flawed in the mm-hmm. God story, including Dote, whom he loves the most. Jacob uh, is that way, and Jacob in this way represents Yisrael. God still loves Yisrael, and yet they disgust him. And almost everything in Jacob's life depicts what Yisrael would become. So, uh, Kirk, uh, you've had a chance to digest a little bit about what we revealed last week. Do you have any concluding mm-hmm. comments before we uh, move on? No, other than, other than what I mentioned on the phone uh, before, he, you know, he, he says, you know, he stole the blessing, and, but the responsibility of who he was by his name. If you were to look at his uh, his pictographs, it's pretty straightforward. You you start with a yod which is an authority and a power and uh, to do the work, to perform, to accomplish a task, to lift up as mm-hmm. in the family, to embrace Yahweh, to be mm-hmm. safe and secure. All that's implied in, in, in mm-hmm. Yod. Uh, it's followed by an Ain, which is a number also a number 70. But it's your eyes where you perceive things. This perspective is also to observe uh, so that you'll know, so you understand Yahweh and his offer. His promise, which is symbolic in the seven yeah, again, the seven. But keep, but keep yeah. in mind that when you see yeah. the the ain, uh, the eye, mm-hmm. it's yeah. um, I, and that's one of the two a sounds in, uh, in Hebrew. The other is the lf. That very mm-hmm. often the eye is not understanding and perceptiveness from God's point of view, but from man's point of view. Well, that's 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 always the trouble with Ain. Yeah, I, I agree with you there because it could be a proper perspective or it could be an evil perspective. So, yeah. So, yeah, so I'm not saying that he, it won't, you couldn't turn it both ways because he can still say an authority with power and not refer to Yahweh. But this was this was his Abraham's grandson, you know. Yes, and then the quaff is, is 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 a light. On the on the horizon or sunlight is either is where light gathers on the horizon. It can be a new either day it's or a, a night. sign of a new day and increased mm-hmm. enlightenment, which uh, which mm-hmm. which uh, is the shakar reference that we talked about last week. Uh-huh. Or it is the yeah. sun setting and yes. uh, increased darkness and gloom. Uh, yeah. And I think Jacob, because his name uh, does mean uh, uh, reward or consequence. Uh, yes. speaks of the uh, of whether you're looking to the east or to the west. Um, Correct. So uh, I think there there that, that's another of those wor- letters that can convey both uh, dark and light sides, literally dark and light sides. Yeah, well, we've said the reason you, you need to know the context of anything is, is once again because so many of these things can be positive or negative. Uh, like all the verbs, I mean, it depends on yeah. once again the uh, so. And then you, you finish it off with a bet, which represents the family home. It can be uh, uh, synonymous of the family itself. It could be the home where one is protected and from harm and safe and, and uh, from the enemies. Or it could be, uh, you know, it can be a horrible place if you if you if you want to look at it that way. There are it is a home. A lot of homes are good, and a lot of homes are bad. But uh, but, but I was saying but the, house, can, the house of Israel was almost always bad. Unfortunately, yes, it's what they so could have been versus what what he wanted them to be versus what they actually became. And, uh, right. You know, he could have been the, uh, the increased lightning of a good day, or he could have yeah. been 
the setting sun and uh, inherent doom. He uh, could yeah. have reached out to the hand of God for his influence and support, or he could uh, uh, take things under his own advisement and be the person who wrestled with God. Uh, mm-hmm. he, well, that's the same as Israel. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, the eye can with represent uh, being yeah. observant, or it can represent man's point of view. So he's a yeah. very complex character. The letters in his name also convey that. What I want to do, uh, Kirk, uh, as I shared with you earlier uh, today is, or yesterday, is um, it's, it's more fun for me uh, to go over newer material rather than, uh, than older material. And I'm currently uh, translating Volume 8 of Yada Yaiwa, uh, and I'm currently working, I think, in the 8th or ninth chapter of uh, volume eight. Volume eight is primarily devoted to the revelations of Hosha. Uh, Hosha was the first book I translated. Uh, I was laugh when I say translated, but I translated it uh, 20 years ago uh, because I knew a very good job. You got to start. You got to start. Yeah, I had to start. And, uh, and I got a lot of things right. And I got a lot of things right. not so, not so right. And, but in all of the years, as I went back and tried to do my rewrites, uh, I really never made an effort to retranslate it all again. And this time, I'm just starting with all new translations and, uh, and writing it from, uh, from scratch. I'm probably including 1% or 2% of what was written <laughs> all those years ago. And this, this translation, uh, and you have to start somewhere, uh, of Hosha uh, was prompted uh, by my good friend uh, at the time, Ken Power, uh, who mm-hmm. was uh, just a wonderful study partner. He's the one who taught me to write. We co-authored uh, in the company together. Uh, we uh, co-authored to a little less of a degree, um, uh, Tea with Terrace. Uh, and we were partners even in doing this show until such time as I began to uh, to deal with Paul uh, and became mm-hmm. aware that uh, Paul was a false prophet and that the Christian New Testament was completely unreliable and there was no validity of any kind to the religion of Christianity. That was uh, more than, uh, than Ken could uh, handle. And uh, um, I, you know, I, I'm not a compromiser. I know that's politically mm-hmm. correct to compromise. That is uh, that is not Yahweh styled. It is not uh, what I was called to do. It's uh, I'm going to go where His words lead. If He wants to call Paul the plague of death, uh, then I'm going to call Paul the plague of death. And so we did uh, we did separate. But uh, He had given me uh, the first chapter of a book that I helped him name uh, at the time. He wanted to call it future. I don't know what he wanted to call it, but I said I think what you really need to use is future history here. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's a catchy, uh, it's a catchy term, and uh, it began with the book of Hosha. And uh, he said, "Take a look at this. I'd like you to read it and give me your comments." And as I started to read it, it's it's just so much Christianity in it. And uh, he was using, I uh, just nat- normally published English translations and looking up maybe every fiftieth word and, and doing a little study on the f- every fiftieth word. And, and then comparing what uh, he was reading there to things that Paul wrote or somebody else wrote. And, and uh, I started trying to edit it and give him some ideas. And, and uh, after a while, it became impossible. It was just 
there was too big a chasm. And I said, I'll say what I'm going to mm-hmm. do. Uh, Ken, I'm just going to go and I'm going to translate the best I could Hosha. So it was my first attempt at translation. And we're just going to, we'll have a discussion as to where those words lead. And they, uh, they led to me embracing Yao and, and Ken going in a different uh, direction. Uh, so this was something I did a very long time ago. And in this particular rewrite, uh, we actually don't begin in the book of Hosha. We are going to begin with one of Dode's psalms because his psalm sets everything into context. Hosha is the first significant prophet after uh, Dode. He, he comes before Yashaya, uh, before uh, Yermaya. Uh, he's, he's slated in a, uh, in a place um, about 150, 200 years after, uh, after Dode. Uh, and so it's kind of a, a good way to transition to him to read what uh, Dode had written uh, previously. Uh, this particular chapter is entitled Kaleb. Kaleb is such a wonderful word in, uh, in Hebrew. Uh, it's from uh, kol. Kol in Hebrew means all. And leb. Um, and leb is heart in Hebrew, but it, it's not used like we would use heart. Uh, no, so it's no. not all heart in the sense of all emotion. But no, uh, I mean, stuff. Yeah. yeah, Caleb would actually mean totally judgmental because the the Leb heart in the uh, uh, in the ancient world uh, and in this language was the seat of judgment of being able to to analyze evidence and reason to survey your environment and to make a uh, an intelligent uh, uh, deduction based upon what you have witnessed and seen. Uh, and the liver was the seat of emotion. So Kaleb means totally judgmental. It is also the Hebrew word for dog. Kaleb. Kaleb is also uh, one of the most interesting characters in the, uh, uh, in the Torah. Kaleb, who we don't know much about until one day Kaleb stands up and says, Good grief, Let's go get him. why are you so... You know, weak need and uh, and uh, chicken livered. What, what in the world's wrong mm-hmm. with you? God gave us this place. Let's go. If he is with us, who is going to be against us? And uh, well, uh, he and uh, Yosha Ben Nun, who doesn't really have much of a speaking role at this point, uh, um, are the only two that uh, stand up for let's go all the rest actually tell you not only don't we want to go there we want to go back to egypt and uh, and be slaves so the chapter is named after caleb because he was such an interesting character the byline of the chapter is man's best friend the volume of uh, volume eight of yada yawa is called azab which means separation Throughout the Torah and Prophets, Yahweh presents man's history from creation to elimination. It is a dramatic and gut-wrenching journey from Bereth to Azab, from relationship to separation. 
The river of life is quite serpentine. It travels from dawn to dusk through a twisting medley of raging rapids and clear, peaceful pools of reflection. Most float down this stream with their eyes closed so that they miss the tour guides along the way. And these tour guides are called prophets. They tell us what to expect around the next bend. In Dode's day, Yisrael was led through the quiet waters. Her stole was restored. Two centuries later, during Hosha's day, Yisrael was nearing the valley of the shadow of death. It lurked just downstream, according to Hosha. Hosha's name means he delivers, he liberates, and he saves. It is from Yatza, which conveys these thoughts. Salvation, though, Kirk, as we know, is a participatory mm-hmm. endeavor. Mm-hmm. The beneficiary needs to be observant and to act upon the instructions and directions which are provided. A simple illustration is if uh, you are in quicksand and I'm on, the, uh, on solid ground and I have this lovely rope and I tell you, when I toss the rope to you, reach up, grab it, wrap it around your uh, arm tightly and hold on with both hands. And I'll pull you out. And if you say, I don't want to do that. I want you to pull me out, but I don't want to have to pay attention to what you're doing. I don't want to be observant. I don't want to be responsive. I want to listen to your damn instructions. Who are you to tell me what to do? You can throw the rope. I can be willing to save you, but you're going to die. Well, that's kind of the way... Yisrael was, yep, and mm-hmm. has been. It's the way it works. The Hudum of Hosha's day were no more willing to listen to God, follow his instructions, than those living today 27 centuries further downstream. In fact, their response to Yahweh has been the same as was endured during uh, uh, by Moshe during the Yatza Exodus. And that's something we're going to discover momentarily. And that makes really Moshe's and Dodes and Hosha's warnings relevant to us right now, especially to the religious. This known to properly set the stage for what Hosha is going to reveal and so that we come to appreciate what could have been, what should have been, I want to turn to the 81st Mismore. It's a remarkable story, and it is the best introduction possible to Hosha. Dode's song presents the saga from Yahweh's perspective, revealing what he intended and it explains why and where his wayward children went wrong. It begins with a bit of poetic license. It was a song, after all. It begins the approach to the enduring supervisor and everlasting leader, the preeminent conductor, is played out around the wine press of those who are gathered together 
and withdrawn. It's a lovely word picture, is it not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sing for joy, God. Sing for joy to God. Those who wish to be strengthened and empowered by him. Provide a clear and audible signal to approach the God of Jacob. Reward our consequence. The imagery portrayed by the psalmist speaks of Teruah. That's when the preeminent and eternal conductor will withdraw unto himself the covenant's children who have gathered around the winepress. And having been empowered and enriched by God, we're going to be singing for joy. And while all that are on the earth who remain will have the opportunity to hear the message that we have left behind. There is great joy in knowing that we are made immortal, that we're perfected, adopted, enriched, and empowered by God as a result of Pesach, Matzah, Bakodim, and Shavuah. This enables us to ruah to provide a clear and loud signal on Teruah. Yahweh's troubadours can signal the way home, which passes through Kippurim, reconciliations, leading to Sukkah, camping out with God. The rhetoric and lyrics of the psalm continue. This is Mizmore Psalm 81.2. Lift up a song and produce and extend a tambourine, a pleasant-sounding and beautiful stringed instrument, such as a lyre, along with a harp. Blow a horn during the renewed moon, a shofar during the full moon, for the day of our Chog Festival Feast. Mizmore Psalm 81.3 So we're being asked of our own volition to lift up our voices in song to God. That is what Doe did, did better than anyone who has ever lived. The mm-hmm. instruments conveying the melody are a tambourine, a pleasant-sounding lyre, which, by the way, is played similarly to a guitar, and a harp. At the initial sighting of, a re- of renewing light on the surface of the moon, especially at the start of the first and seventh months of the Hebrew calendar, God has asked us to blow a horn, sounding a trumpet, so that everyone within listening distance knows that in Abib, the first month of the mm-hmm. year, Chag Matzah will commence in 14 days, bringing Pesach. And in the seventh month, the trumpet is announcing Teruah on the first day, leading to Kippurim on the 10th and Chag Sukkah on the 15th of the month. Now, recognizing that there is a full moon between the 15th and 16th days of the Hebrew month, we are to announce the arrival of Chag Matzah and Chag Sukkah using the ram's horn trumpet known as a shofar. Four of Yahweh's seven festival feasts occur during full moons. These include Mm -hmm. the combined spring celebration of Pesach, which is celebrated 
on the 13th night of the first month, which is the beginning of the 14th day. Unyeasted bread, beginning with Pesach and continuing for the next seven days. And firstborn children, commencing on the 15th evening of the first month, which is begun, beginning of the 16th day. Shelters, which is an eight-day celebration beginning on the 15th day of the seventh month, which, of course, starts as the sun sets on the 14th day, gives us the opportunity to camp out with Yahweh under a full moon. Cool. Yep. Now, and that the lunar cycle is 29.5 days, and recognizing that a new month begins with the first sign of expanding light on the moon's surface, these festivals, feasts, are perfectly timed to correspond to basking in our Heavenly Father's light, both day and night. It is only Teruah which stands completely apart. Trumpets is always observed on the first day of a Kodesh renewing month. And that means that our Ruah robust, clear, and loud public proclamations consisting of a warning and a joyous message on how to approach God is conveyed to a world living in darkness because we're inviting them to come into the light, God's light. The realization that there is this tiny sliver glowing upon the moon's surface on this day may also represent just how few people are part of the covenant. It could also be, and that our mission has been to fulfill Teruah, that that flickering flax, that, uh, uh, that slightly glowing flame that Yahweh spoke of uh, as mm-hmm. it relates to his Bashar, well, that is yes. similar to this first uh, emerging light on the moon's surface, just this tiny sliver, but it will grow. And it begins as a sliver and then uh, expands. Good observation, I thought. Yeah. What follows is particularly insightful, I think. It, it affirms much of what we have come to conclude, and it tells us that the Mikra invitations to be called out and meet with God are not only prescriptions for living, they serve as the means to resolve the issues which would otherwise separate us from Yahweh. So this is Mizmor Psalm 81.4. Indeed, this is a clearly communicated prescription for living, a choke for Yisrael, which can either mean individuals who engage and endure with God or those who contend against the Almighty. This is the way to exercise good judgment regarding the means to justly resolve disputes. Misfot. This is the best, most informed, and rational way to decide after evaluation of all of the implications. Misfot is from my to contemplate and assess and shafat judgment and decision-making. Shabbat is the Hebrew word that is actually applied to those we would consider judges. Mm -hmm. There's only one way to God, following the path that is provided by the Moed Mikre, the eternal witnesses and restoring testimony of the invitations to be called out and meet. Uh, These occur during the Chag Feasts which tells you from God's point of view, they are celebrations. 
As such, there's only one doorway to eternal life, a singular portal open to extend our lives. And it is open during the celebration of Passover. The means to redemption, to having all disputes resolved, the removal of the fungus of yeast, which represents religion, occurs on the Feast of Unyeasted Bread. The beneficiaries, then, of Pesach and Matzah are adopted into the covenant family. This occurs on Bokorim, which means firstborn children. And as God's children grow, they become enriched and empowered, emancipated and enlightened during Shavuot, the promise of the Shabbat. Now, doing so equips the covenant's children to serve as troubadours on Teruah calling out to warn and to encourage those lost in the darkness of mankind's religious and political institutions. Those who are the descendants of Jacob, who listened to our warning and who availed themselves of God's redemptive message, are restored. They are brought covenant relationship with Yahweh during Kippurim, which, not so coincidentally, means reconciliations and Mm -hmm. it's plural so it's not just Yisrael being reconciled with Yahweh it's also Yahudah being reconciled with Yahweh and Yisrael and Yahudah becoming one again and of course there are a significant number of Goyim who will Mm -hmm. benefit from reconciliations as well although I think reconciliations is really designed for Yahweh's family. I think the Goyim, who are going to be part of the covenant, uh, most of uh, of the Goyim, uh, like myself, your, yourself also, yes, Kirk, become yes, uh, covenant members uh, long before the um, even the fulfillment Sukkot. of Teruah no, uh, and, yeah. and long before the fulfillment of, of Kippurim in year 6000. Yeah. Now, as a result of all of this, we can approach God on Sukkah, shelters, and camp out with our Heavenly Father for all eternity, beginning with a return to Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden, for a thousand years here on earth. Now that's the message being conveyed. This is Yahweh's prescription for living. This is the means that God has provided to resolve every dispute and reconcile his relationship with us. It's worth thinking about. The Mizmor, which means song, and lyrics to be sung, continues with these words. It is an enduring and restoring witness, providing everlasting testimony, eduth, to understand by making the connections needed to comprehend the end. Yosef means Yahweh increases. Joseph, for those who prefer the corrupted transliteration, was placed Mm -hmm. and preserved. Then he was withdrawn over the land of the crucibles of religious and political oppression. Mitzrayim. I had heard speech, Yahweh said, that I didn't recognize. So I removed the burden of forced labor from his shoulders. His hands were set free from the baskets carrying those loads within the cauldron. 
So the purpose, based upon this testimony from Dode, of Yahweh's Eduth, the Eduring witness and restoring testimony, is for us to understand what God is offering and what he expects. And his word does not change. It endures forever. And its purpose is to restore our relationship with him. Here it has been provided so that we might be in, make the connections to appreciate how Yosef's, Joseph's life and experiences within Mitzrayim, which has been corrupted to Egypt, not by the, uh, those living in uh, Mitzrayim. They, will, they actually refer to their country as Mitzrayim, even to this day. Help us understand the Moed Mikre. As the eldest son of Jacob and Rachel, Yosef was beloved. But his brothers, acting as uh, they would throughout the millennia, betrayed him. They sold him into slavery, not unlike the effect of Judaism upon the brethren today. However, as would be the case with Moshe, Yosef was protected. He rose to a position of influence within Pharaoh's house. Then after living a long and productive life, many examples of which exist even today to prove his influence on Egypt at the time that he was there. Mm-hmm. We find him reunited with his father. Thereafter, in Yatza, in the Yatza Exodus, Yosef's bones were withdrawn and carried back to the Promised Land. But it is that reconciliation with his father, Jacob, that uh, proves so telling to what is going to happen with Yisrael 11 years from now. So during the ensuing 360 years, Yosef's extended family, the other descendants of Jacob, were enslaved. It was during this time that Yahweh heard lips he did not recognize because they were now estranged from him. And yet in the end, God would intervene. He would remove this burden from the people freeing them from the cauldrons of oppression. And in the process of securing their release, Yahweh initiated the Mikre, beginning with Pesach and Matzah. So Mizmor Song, Psalm 81.7, reads as follows. In trouble, you called out Hara, and I rescued and withdrew you. I responded and answered you, Anna, within a veiled covering and with a thunderous shout. I discovered your nature and assessed your merit. But the waters of Meribah, contentious complaining. Pause now and reflect on this. Weighing this in the balance and then consider what was acquired and then rejected. <laughs> Sometimes, Kirk, it's hard for me to remember mm-hmm. when uh, what I've talked about on this program, when uh, you know, I've probably written in the last two months of my life um, the story of Mirabar into chapters. 
So I'm mm-hmm. not quite certain if I just wove them into the chapters or I talked about them on this program, but I think I did both. I think we've, we've had a thorough discussion as to what happened at Mirabah. Yes. And uh, there, the children of Israel were really grumpy and said, you know, no, the no, food's bad. Uh, yeah. the, you know, our friends stink. We don't like what we're doing here. The, they, did we tell you the food's really bad and there's no water? And why in the heck did you invite me out here in this miserable place to die? And if we don't want to die here, why don't you just take us back to Mitzrayim? We want to go back there because we don't like where we are. We don't like you. We don't like your God. We don't like any of this. Grumble, grumble, grumble. And um, that's the waters of Mirabar. And there is a an episode there at the end where uh, Moshe strikes the stone as opposed to speaking to it. Moshe had two of these episodes in his life. And you might say, why was I so glowing of him at the beginning of this program? And they had these two episodes. This is a guy that for 80 years... The worst a people could uh, could give him, and I say eighty years because forty years before the Yatza Exodus, he gave up all of the trappings of power and wealth in Egypt, where he was considered a son of Pharaoh, and he risked his life to prevent a Hebrew slave from being beaten to death. And when he did that, rather than the Hebrews saying, thank you, thank you, to see you stand up for us, what a wonderful and noble and courageous thing to do. They said, uh, yeah, you're the guy that, uh, that did that. Uh, we don't appreciate you telling us what uh, we should do. You have no authority over us, and we're going to rat you out. <coughs> that was 40 years before uh, Yahweh asked him to return where Yahweh, when he's asking to return, has nothing to do with what? You know, Moshe not wanting to respond to God. It has, you want me to go back to those Why? people? Why? Yeah. Why? You know, I didn't just leave Pharaoh because I was disgusted by what they were doing. I left them too. Life is pretty good out here as a shepherd. I'm not going yeah. back for them. And them Lamb didn't change. Yeah. Then continued to bellyache. It didn't matter what God did for them. And understand, God could have taken them from Egypt to the promised land in a week. Maybe less. Mm -hmm. Could have been, kaboom, here you are. But why? He wanted to equip them with the Torah. And while he was equipping them with the Torah, they were building false gods. They were building... The, the, of God. You know, the Apis, the bull yeah. co- uh, cult with Aaron even mm-hmm. taking place and encouraged him to do it right there at, at the, on, of the mountain, yeah. Yeah, the base of uh, Mount uh, Horeb. Oh, yeah. And, and then they yeah. just got worse and worse and worse. And, and God finally says, what am I going to do? I can't take them in like this. Can't take them anywhere. Uh, so that's why they wandered so long in the wilderness is they were just miserable. You can't reward miserable people. 
somewhere somebody has got to be responsible. Well, as will be the case in your 6,000 yaw, 2033, the Sarah troubling circumstances will be so dire that some among their remnant of Yisrael will call out to Yahweh once again at long last. And as he had 3,500 years ago, he's going to respond by rescuing them. Although this time, his presence is not going to be veiled, and his voice will be more melodious than thunderous. And this time, Israelites are not going to complain and say, we don't want to hear it anymore because we're going to cherish it. Yes. Then, as was the case during the previous Yatza, Yahweh will examine his people. And only those who pass his test are going to prevail. And you say, wait a minute, who told about the test? Well, it's, we're told frequently there's a test. Abraham was tested. You've got to pass the test. And fortunately, it's an open book assignment. <laughs> and he has provided every ana answer. Moreover, if you have read okay. an introduction to God, you if you book, have considered yeah. Yahweh, Yahweh, we're not trying to sell you anything here, go to yadayah.com. And every volume is available in its entirety on an exceedingly well-organized and intuitive website. Or you can listen to any one of the 14 billion of these programs that we have done over the last 14 million years. That might be a slight exaggeration. But if you read an introduction to God, if you read Yada Yahweh, I can assure you, you will pass with flying colors. Yahweh had done what he had promised. But sadly, the children of Yisrael, rather than being grateful, became antagonistic. They turned on Moshe. They rejected their liberator. Rather than trusting Yahweh, they complained and said that they had been brought out of Mitzrayim to die of thirst. And, well, Yahweh provided ample water to satisfy them. The Israelites exposed the underbelly of their disagreeable nature. It is the test the chosen people fail even to this day. Nevertheless, Dode continued. He's speaking, of course, for Yahweh or Better yet, mm-hmm. Yahweh is speaking through him. Listen, my people, because I want to testify to restore and sustain you. It is my will to help you, my desire to relieve and aid you, holding you up, returning you by surrounding you, bearing witness to and through you. Israel, if only you would have listened to me. Call him perfect in this time, which means if you had genuinely listened to me then, now, or tomorrow. Listen to me. There would not exist among you a strange or foreign 
an illegitimate God. All you had to do is listen, and you wouldn't be writing about Hashem or Adonai or to have other Jews write about a Jesus or Rabbi Sel Muhammad citations from their Talmud so that he could advance the mythology of an Allah. If you had listened to me, I would be your God. You would not have false gods. And you would not be making pronouncements on behalf of a foreign god, nor would you bow down to a foreign god. I am Yahweh, your God, the one who lifted you up from the realm of the religious and political oppressors. Choose to joyfully open your mouths, and I will fill them with satisfying proclamations. Mizmor Psalm 81.10 So to pass Yahweh's test, we must listen to it. God wants to explain the means to restore and sustain us, as both are consistent with his will. That's why that was written in the cohortative mood. But for this to happen, we must hear his testimony. Our willingness to do as Yahweh is requesting will ultimately determine how Yisrael is defined as it pertains to us. Are we those who engage and endure with God, who are liberated and empowered with God, Yisrael? Are we those who are contentious? and argue with God. Sarah can mean both. Clearly, Yahweh is anti-religious. If you are preaching about praying to, bowing down before, or worshiping a religious God, then it is for certain that you are unknown to the only real God. This is a hard and fast rule. There are no exceptions and no salvation. This universal prohibition against religion and religious deities is affirmed throughout the first three statements that Yahweh etched in stone. Mm-hmm. So please, pay attention to what God just revealed. Because the consequence of this pronouncement is set in stone. Being religious eliminates any chance of eternal life. Being religious blocks the entry to heaven. The very institutions that mankind has developed over the ages to control the masses by promising them eternal life and heavenly rewards, whether abused during this life, are the most universally damning and deadly deceitful. And that's why the lone prerequisite of the covenant is to walk away from national, religious, cultural, and familial influences, distancing oneself from this confusing Babel. And every time I see Babel, and it does mean to confound by intermixing, to confuse, it is also Mm -hmm. the Hebrew word 
for Babylon. It is how Bible would be written in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. BBL, Bible. Yeah. And it means with the Lord. And understand, the Lord is Satan. Yeah. He's the one that wants to control your life. He wants the one that wants to lord over you. He wants to own the souls of humankind. He wants to be worshipped as if he were God above the Most High. The Lord of religion, Satan. God, however, has just one name, Yahweh. His initial goal in our lives is to liberate us, not to control us, to free us, not lord over us. He wants to remove us from the subversive effects of religion and government. By liberating his children from Mitzrayim, God reinforced his overriding principle. If you want to see the difference between what Yahweh is offering and what man is offering, look at the Herodim. They're dressed for their own funeral. Every one of them looks exactly the same. Same ugly black hat, same stupid curly cues, same morning suits. All of them look the same. Why? Because they're told this is how they must be and they obey. They are controlled by the rabbis. I'm not controlled by anybody. I wear tropical shirts and drip-dry shorts and a pair of flaps and, and a big smile. Wear whatever I want to wear. Eat whatever I want to eat. Drink whatever I want to drink. Talk to whomever I want to talk to. I am completely emancipated in the relationship I have with Yahweh, which is what he wants for everyone. And religion is exactly the opposite. They want total conformity and total control. When we listen to Yahweh, something marvelous happens. His words fill our mouth. We want to share what he has shared with us. We speak for That's him right. by yeah, communicating his witness, his restoring testimony. However, the children of Israel have ignored this advice. They much prefer to walk in their own counsel and decide, which, by the way, is the Babylonian Talmud. Talmud? Yeah. But my people have not listened to the sound of my voice. And Israel has been unwilling to accept me. And so I let them go away. And the stubbornness and recalcitrance, the unyielding resistance and adversarial attitude. They continually walk in their own counsel, in their own customs, and in their own traditions. Mizmor Psalm 81, 11, and 12. There will be those who are listening perhaps for the first time and they say, wow, you are really railing against Jews and you began by railing against Muslims and you said some pretty derogatory things about Christianity. You're just a cynic. Why do you say these things? Because God said them. 
the only credible prophetic texts in the world are in the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms, where Yahweh announced that he is God and he proved his existence through these prophecies. And it is in Yahweh's voice that he says, my people have not listened. So if we're here telling you your problem is you're not listening to God, it's not our opinion. God himself said, you have not listened to my voice. And in case you're wondering who he's talking to, and Yisrael has been unwilling to accept me. So when the religious Jews, because he's speaking to you Jews, will say, oh, we're, we're, we're worshiping our God and... And, you know, we introduced a monotheism to the world, and, and we're, we're praying to him, and bull. It's not true. Your Hashem bears no resemblance whatsoever to Yahweh. You won't even say his name. Yisrael has rejected Yahweh. Not my opinion. That's what God himself said. Toad, the king of kings, the Messiah, the one who is returning with Yahweh. The most extraordinary life ever lived. The man that Yahweh said, he is my son, I am his father. Yahweh spoke to him, through him, and said, my people have not listened to the sound of my voice. And Yisrael has been unwilling to accept me. And so I let them go away. And the stubbornness and recalcitrance, the unyielding resistance of their adversarial attitude are you listening? What will it take for you to accept Yahweh's testimony over the testimony of the religious men and women who are lying to you? God says, Yisrael can own counsel, customs, and traditions. Yes, yeah, called Judaism. Jews stopped listening to Yahweh over three millennia ago and we're not picking, well we are picking on Jews because that's what Yahweh is picking mm -hmm. on here because Jews are his people there's a difference, Muslims are wrong, Christians are wrong Hindus are wrong yeah. and well there is no excuse for them having a New Testament that's rubbish or a Quran because it's worse than trash the difference between the misled and mistaken Christian, the misled and mistaken Muslim, and the misled and mistaken Jew, is that Yahweh revealed himself to you. He gave you his Torah guidance in your language. He formed his covenant family relationship with you. And then when you got into trouble and were enslaved in Mitzrayim, he rescued you. He gave you a home in Israel. He offered you 
an inheritance where everything that is his, including the entire universe, he gave to you. And yet, in spite of all of this, you rejected him. When he spoke to you, said, oh, no, no, that voice is too thunderous, it's too scary, we don't ever want to hear from you again. You didn't listen. You rejected him. Do not pretend that Hashem, Adonai, or what's his name, is Yahweh. No, the God of Judaism is a God that models the perverse nature of the rabbis. This is Yahweh speaking. And he is saying that you walk own counsel, what's called the Talmud, your own customs and traditions. Even today, on the cusp of the final awakening, we're just 11 years away from Yahweh's return. Fewer than one in a million people hear God's voice. And well, that's your option. There's no penalty for failing to avail oneself of Yahweh's guidance. But this becomes a problem when the religious mislead millions by claiming otherwise. For example, there is a myth that Jews are Torah observant when they are universally Talmud observant, a book comprised of rabbinical arguments pretending to be pious and devoted to their G-D, the Haredim are among the most anti-Semitic and belligerent toward Yahweh. And God knows it, which is why he has turned the tables on them by using halak, a derivation of which was corrupted by rabbis to collect, to depict halakha, Jewish law. Overwhelmingly, Jews prefer their own counsel, their own tradition, their own customs, and religion to God's voice. And that must change if there are to be more than a few score of Yehudim capitalizing on Kippurim. Now, this is, Kirk, as you know, this is really personal mm-hmm. to us. Calling, this is our mission. This is our life. We are here yes, to yank the religion out of you. To cause you to say, my religion is as stupid as the religion was for the Muslim that stabbed Salman Rushdie for telling the truth. My religion is so bad that the most fundamentalist of the religious dress for their own funeral. They preclude access to information to keep the Herodim in a ghetto of ignorance. Somewhere along the way, you've got to say that, that Jews started to be religious 3,000 years ago. And over that 3,000 years, nothing has changed. And look where it's led. It led to enslavement in Mitzrayim. 
torture, yeah. It led Everything. to a miserable experience as Jews wanted to continue to be religious even during the exodus in God's presence. It led to shaking in their sandals when God said, here you are, finally I'm letting you into the land. They said, no, we want to go back to slavery. It continued as they lived in the land. It got horrible when they said, okay, okay, we don't even want to be uh, Torah observant anymore. We want to have a king that tells us what to do, like all those goyim over there. And they chose Shaul, question him. Uh, in my resentment, I, I realized that I'd given you free will, so I let you have your king. But I couldn't endure it. I finally had to take him away. But since that time, Look what's happened by being religious. The Assyrians, most brutal kingdom of ancient history, hauled ten of the twelve tribes into obscurity. Then the Babylonians came for Yahuda, hauled them into slavery. And then the Romans with their beautiful their brutal subjugation and ultimate destruction of the temple turning the loot they confiscated from the, the temple and the slaves they hauled away into the Colosseum, the most decadent building man has ever built. The most mm. disgusting. And the Romans would rename the land after Israel's long-fallen foe. And then with rabbis abating and abetting uh, Muhammad selling him Talmud recitals so that his dribbles elevated from the satanic verses to twisted and bastardized citations of, uh, of Talmud readings. Muhammad would create a religion that was exceedingly anti-Semitic and the Jews would endure that all because they were religious. And was it not a rabbi that conceived Christianity and the second coming of Shaul questioned him and after the Muslim uh, assault Jews and diaspora were abused by the Roman Catholic Church treated as subhuman and the more they adhered to their customs and to their religion the worse it became then came the Nazis and after the Nazis the communists after the communists the progressives and all of this is because Israel continues to be religious Jews even refer to themselves as Jews as opposed to Yahudim because they don't want to have anything to do with Yahudim no, uh, yeah. so for the last 3,000 years Judaism has brought a living hell upon God's people. Why not give Yahweh a chance? Why not give up on the thing that has caused so much heartache? Listen to Yahweh instead of the rabbis. 
Life is so much better. Come back to him. He's got open arms. He's exceedingly welcoming. He will love to forgive and forget. All you have to do is accept the terms and conditions of the covenant. Attend the Mikrei. Accept Yahweh by name for who he is. And you can be reconciled into his family. You'll be kept out of the time of Jacob's troubles as the world continues to devolve against Jews. It's the best offer ever made. Ever. Yeah. yeah, you inherit eternal life. You are perfected. You're adopted into the Heavenly Father's family, giving a express ticket into heaven, become a seven-dimensional being, infinite in time, able to explore the entire universe, camping out with the Creator forever, who will wrap his arms around you as your Father. Enrich you, empower you, enlighten you, emancipate you. Reconciling his relationship with you, returning you to the conditions experienced in Eden. That's the offer. And all you have to do is to accept it. Is to disassociate yourself from the religion that has been so corrupting. And for those who are listening who may be uh, Jewish this evening and say, that's not fair. Judaism doesn't go back 3,000 years. Oh, yeah? Why don't you ask a rabbi the origins of the Talmud? Yeah. Won't they tell you? Oh, Won't they Lord. lie to you and said that the Talmud was, it was given to the elders of Israel at the same yeah. time that uh, the written uh, Torah was given to Moshe? If you claim that's that your just... primary religious text goes back 3,400 years ago, I'm here to tell you, you got no excuse to pretend like, I'm sorry, Judaism is a more recent phenomenon. Now, Jews have been religious since before the Exodus. Even Jacob had his bouts with the mm-hmm. religious uh, idols as did uh, one of his wives. It goes back a long long time. So the first condition is to walk away from religion, from politics. It should be easy to walk away from politics that is exceedingly corrupt and screwed up in uh, in Israel. Um, Walk away from both. You have to disassociate from Judaism and from politics uh, to... Uh, except the first codicil of the covenant. Second is God asks you to walk to him and allow him to perfect you, which is what occurs on matzah, where the fungus of religion and politics is removed from our souls, with that fungus being the embittering nature of yeast. The third request is, rather than trust a religion and political scheme or one's military, the IDF, for example. Mm-hmm. Trust and rely on Yahweh. Now, the trust and rely on Yahweh, you need to know him. You need to identify him by name. You need to accept him, acknowledge him. 
learn what he is offering, what he is expecting <laughs> in return, what he is really like. Decide if you like him, learn from him, listen to him. That way you can trust and rely upon him. The fourth condition of the covenant, should you wish to be part of Yahweh's family, is to be observant, to closely examine and carefully consider these very terms and conditions, the mitzvah that we are discussing at this very moment, as they are presented in the open book test of the presentation of the covenant. And should you, for any reason, say, wow, this is too much for me to process, I need to think about it, Go to the website, yadayad.com, and click on the book that, uh, that reads family. It'll tell you everything you need to know about the covenant. And if you say, well, I don't want to jump right in. I kind of want to understand what are the oldest manuscripts? How do you know that you're translating these words correctly? Why you? Why me? Then begin with words, volume one of an introduction to God. And then at any time you feel prepared, then jump ahead to the family, volume three of Yada Yahweh. The final and fifth condition to be part of the covenant is that, that mothers and fathers were asked to circumcise our sons on the eighth day uh, to remind us to raise them to be part of Yahweh's covenant family. And if you are a man, you must be circumcised. You must have that part of your anatomy that is responsible for conceiving life remind you that you are a people set apart. Those are the five conditions of the covenant. And if you accept those five conditions, then you're welcomed into God's family. The benefits of the covenant are all provided by the first for Moed Mikre, all of which were fulfilled in year 4000 Yah, 33 CE. The benefits of the covenant are eternal life. It's a result of Passover. Being perfected so that we can enter God's company. Be comfortable in his company. Feel comfortable sitting down next to him, listening to him. Things that Jews have been exceedingly uncomfortable doing. But the reason we're so bold and, and, and so comfortable sharing the word of God is because we know that Yahweh sees us in his light. He mm-hmm. sees us the way he saw Dode. So all the wonderful yep. things that he had to offer with all the darkness eliminated by his light. The third benefit of the covenant is to be adopted into Yah's family. And even now for Yisrael, adoption is the way in as opposed to being naturally born because y'all have been estranged from God for nearly 3,000 years. You were disinherited, divorced. And so at this point... There needs to be reconciliation and adoption back into that family. Um, This occurs on Bukurim, firstborn children. And so the final benefits of the covenant are afforded to God's family, those who have accepted the conditions of the covenant, who are 
answering his invitations to his Moed Mikre on Shabuah. And on Shabuah, God enriches and empowers his children. He enlightens and emancipates those who are the beneficiaries of Pesach, Matzah, and Makodam. Those are the first four Moed Mikre. They were fulfilled in year 4000 Yah. And they provide the benefits of the covenant. The next Moed Mikre is Teruah. That is our job. We're here to shout out the warning and to share the good news that Yahweh has provided a path home. That there are conditions of the covenant that we can accept and that the benefits are wonderful. But to avail yourself of them, you must walk away from religion and politics. This leads then to the sixth of seven Moed Mikre, to reconciliations where Yahweh in year 6,000 Yah, October 2nd, 2033, will return with Dod and will be reconciling his relationship with the Israelites and Yahudim who embrace him, who accept him by name. And this leads to a thousand years of camping out on earth as it's restored to the conditions in the Garden of Eden. This occurs on Sukkah, which is on a Shabbat um, in 2033, October uh, 7th. That's God's plan. That's his invitation. We hope to see you there. Well, we have run uh, way past our time, Kirk, uh, so I look yes, forward sir. to being with you next week. I, I know I gave you a short notice on the, uh, on the material okay. we're going to go through, okay. but we, uh, we'll, uh, right. we'll, we'll finish uh, this, uh, this chapter over the next few programs on, uh, on the introduction to, to Hosha, and then we're going to start with uh, every word, every statement of Hosha is a bullseye. It just goes right to the target of saying, Yisrael, you were my people, but I have estranged myself from you. I have divorced you because of your religion, but I'm offering you the opportunity to come back home. And it speaks to God's target audience, his people excoriating them for what they have become and yet inviting them to return. We have so much to learn by listening to what Hosha will reveal uh, to us. Uh, it is a, it's a wonderful gift. So we wish uh, Salman Rushdie a recovery. I hope that he uh, survived this uh, accident. Yes, yeah, of course. And that I hope that there are more people who are willing to expose and condemn the religion that uh, caused it to occur, uh, Islam. And uh, we wish for those Yehudim, Yisraelites, who have listened to this message, that you will consider listening to Yahweh, accept him, and come back home. May Yah bless. Look forward to being with you next uh, Shabbat. Uh, Thank you, Kirk, for being part of the program. Yes, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye.